Today's readings from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Um, as Josh said, if you require a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the hosts will hand you one. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your, in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face, face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or, male or female servant, not your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may, well, may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You should not give false testimony against your neighbour. Thank you very much, Sam. My name's Ed Morris. I'll be uh, walking us through that ninth one, verse 20, the ninth of the Ten Commandments today, as we've looked through this series. So that's what we'll be doing. I'm going to pray first. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you uh, give us words to live by because they are good for us and right for us. And we pray that you would speak to us as we sang earlier, speak to us through your holy word. Test our hearts. Help us see Jesus, we pray. In his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to begin by telling you a story true story, but about which you will feel very curious, but I can't give you any more details, so don't ask me at the end. You're going to love this story. I was reading a book, that's what I imagine myself looking like, reading a book, it's not actually me, 
a hipster with a straw booter on. And in the book, this book, there was, in a little box, a case study about a church. And as I was reading, I realised, that's our church. This person's writing about this person I've never met. It was recognisable as our church. And the reason I knew was that in the case study, something that the minister, that's me, had said, had apparently said, and I remembered the exact sermon. I'd said that, and I thought it was very strange. I went and checked my notes, and it was something I'd said, but only half the sentence that I'd said. And only quoting half the sentence gave it a totally different meaning. So I wrote to the author and said, uh, excuse me, this is recognisable as our church, but the impression you've given of the type of things we say here is totally wrong. And the author had been supplied, it turned out, with material by someone without checking it where it came from, whether it was true. There's a note there, you're an author. And the chapter has been removed from the second edition of the book, and no, I can't give you any more details and you may not read the book. Now, the person who supplied the story probably thought, well, I haven't said anything that's untrue. I've quoted his words exactly. It's not a lie. It's not a lie. But it is what this commandment is against. You'll see, verse 20, false testimony. That is making people believe something that isn't true. And false testimony against your neighbour in order to or with the effect of harming or injuring someone else. And there would have been injustice uh, from that situation I described because anyone who recognised our church in this story would, I think, have got a totally wrong impression of the type of things we say here and what it's like to be here. And that is the ninth of these ten words to live by. Do not give false testimony. Don't make things appear to be true that aren't. Against your neighbour with the effect of harming someone else. Now these uh, ten words to live by, they're like a manifesto for a new nation that God has rescued from Egypt. And remember, before they got here, they were slaves. They had no rights. Their lives were expendable. Nobody cared what anyone thought of them. Their reputations were not important. But when they were rescued, God is giving them the law for a society which will function respecting what he says is true, which is his likeness, his image is in every person. No one is expendable. And that means people should be protected and their reputation should be protected. And it means it's, his, it's our moral responsibility to make good decisions about other people in this new world. And so this commandment is not simply about lying, it includes that. It's about not misleading because we want to respect God's image in everyone else. And it's not just in general life. These words, false testimony against your neighbour, are talking about a legal situation where you're a witness in court. And the reason that's important is because if everyone's required to be honest in that situation, that means people are protected from false uh, accusations. Misleading information is not to be used to disadvantage someone else. We don't try and gain control over situations using 
wrong information. So we read this, and there is a debate. If you read books about this type of thing, there's lots of debate about, is it ever right to lie? You know, if you're sheltering refugees in your basement, should you lie and say they're not there? I mean, it's interesting. We can talk about that later if you like. But really, there's a bigger question being asked here, a much more important question. In your heart, how are you, me, how are we using information to benefit rather than harm other people. I think we've all probably been in environments where you suspect you're being talked about. And worse, you're not really sure that what's being said about you is actually true. I would suspect if you've been in that situation, you didn't have very happy relationships there. There's no safety. But this new community says information, lies being used against people, that disruption shouldn't be happening. And yet we're all so twisted, we do do it. We tell that story, we quote that half sentence, we do all of that stuff that really misleads about people because it makes us look better. And God sets out in the new community, there's a better way, a beautiful way, an inspiring way that truth can be used for love instead of lies for injustice. And through Jesus it becomes not just a call, but a possibility. So the first thing that we see is this, truth and justice. If you've been in Liverpool for any length of time, you will be aware of this, one of the worst episodes in our city's recent history. In the 15th of April 1989, Liverpool Football Club were playing a match in Sheffield and the police made a series of terrible errors that meant far too many people were crushed into a, into a stand and 97 people died. But it did actually get worse than that because the people in power, the people who had made the mistake, lied. They gave false testimony against their much less powerful neighbours. The rich, well-off political class lied about those terrible football hooligans who'd caused the problem. They both told direct lies and half-truths over many, many years. And why did they do that? Because lying is a way to protect yourself. The truth in that situation would have had this incredibly levelling effect. The people in power would have shown to be wrong and the people who had no power would have shown to have not done anything wrong. But the lies protected the powerful. And powerful people in the media and the government magnified their false stories, blaming working class people labelled as hooligans. And so the great logo of the campaign for the victims is this, truth and justice. Because there can't be justice without truth. Lies will always be a tool to protect powerful people from justice. Honesty being required, and in the Old Testament it was required on pain of death, so it really was required. Honesty being required is a great way of limiting the power of strong people. I mean, it seems like an ironic week to be talking about how powerful people ought to be honest. Anyway, more on that later. As the story of these people in the Old Testament went on, 
It was clear that the main day-to-day -day problem with them disobeying this command, to be honest, was the effect it had on the poor. So of course they were supposed to be honest because that's God's character. But when they didn't do it, it was the poor people that suffered. The rich merchants used dodgy weights and measures to make people pay more than the goods were worth. And when poor people were crushed and stood on and had their stuff stolen, they couldn't get justice for themselves because no one would stand up and tell the truth for them. Lies were used against their neighbour. Truth is about allowing justice. So the call here in this command is not just for truth-telling so I can feel like I'm an honest person. The call here is not to speak or go along with lies that are being used to hurt other people. The truth should be used for justice rather than lies used for protection. One person I was reading pointed out how linked this command is to the other commands we've had. You know, if you do murder or commit adultery or steal, how do we convince ourselves we'll get away with those things? We think we'll just lie if we get caught. We'll protect my reputation at the risk of destroying someone else's. But loving your neighbour means protecting their reputation, even if it would benefit you to bring them down. Loving this community means telling the truth about yourself, even if lying would make you look better. Truth goes with justice. Now, it's not uncommon for Christians, when angry, to uh, commit false testimony. So if you're angry with your wife or your husband, it's not totally uncommon to tell someone, a friend or your mum, about something they said or did, but without context and not the whole truth. Or if you're annoyed by being left out of something, you tell only the bit of the story where they didn't invite you, not the hundred invitations you turned on. And it's not always on purpose. We tell ourselves this story in our heads, the version of the story that makes us look best. We're always, always going on in there, isn't it? And so when confronted with the brutal facts, our twisted version comes out to defend ourselves. And so I win. And they lose. That's false testimony against your neighbour. And we're called not to be look like that. And there is a call here to look at the places where you are every day. You're all different places to me. But I would guess in many of the places where you are every day, there's someone or a group of people being harmed because people believe wrong things about them or some dishonest practice is going on. And speaking up would get you into trouble. But the call here is to speak the truth. There have been several people in our church over the years who've been threatened with sucking or actually been sacked because they've done that. The Bible commends silence sometimes instead of harmful words. But it says silence instead of helping people with the truth is false testimony. The Bible talks repeatedly as an application of this called mocking or reviling. That is choosing the worst bit of misinformation you can find to make someone look bad. So, you know, if there's a half-truth about a politician, you shouldn't be putting it on social media, even if they're really bad and you hate their policies. 
And the Bible also talks about an application of this in flattery. Lies can be made up that make people feel better than they actually should in order for you to get something from them. Oh, I think you're really brilliant and now you'll be on my side. That's also false testimony against your neighbour. There can only be God-given peace and justice if there is truth. And so in every situation, the call of this command is to think carefully. Don't play with the truth in order to gain advantage over someone. Well, it's actually Jesus who broadens out these commandments for his followers. Truth and Jesus. He's the one who says it's actually about lying. This is what he says. Again, you've heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, you see what Jesus is saying there. He's saying it used to be thought like if you swore an oath, you'd really better keep that promise. But if you just say it, it's not that important. And Jesus saying is that shouldn't be the case for Christians. You shouldn't need oaths. You should just be the type of people that yes means yes and no means no. People don't need to say I swear on my grandmother's grave if they're generally honest all the time. And that's particularly applicable in this era of mobile phones. Sorry I sound like an old man, but in this era where every plan is provisional. As you can just send a message to cancel. No, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But if you think about Jesus, he actually was the ultimate truth teller. He was the one who always told the truth for the benefit of his neighbour, even if it meant harm to him. You know, Jesus said this thing, he gave his life as a ransom for many. He died to pay for the wrong things that people have done. And no matter how wrong or distant or unreligious the people are, he set his face towards that death so that he could die for us. Pay the ransom for us. So Jesus chose that. But the story of how it happened was that he kept telling the truth, even when people hated it and hated him. He lived in a country where religious leaders exercised their power to take advantage of others. They loved flowing robes and important seats. They used a belief in God to make money. And Jesus said, you're a nest of vipers. You're blind guides. You're whitewashed tombs. He lived in a country where people were occupied by a foreign power. But he said, listen, it's better to forgive and turn the other cheek. He met people who were totally corrupt, who wanted to come back to God, and he welcomed them and loved them, but he did say, you will have to give away your hard-earned money if you want to live with God in charge. Jesus always told the truth for the benefit of others. Then think about how his death came about. Some of the people who had been given this law and were apparently very committed to keeping it, they paid false witnesses. They made things up about him to get him into trouble. The God of everything became and stepped into the place of a victim. And if you have suffered in that way, the way the Hillsborough families have suffered, terrible untruths leading to your suffering and pain, there is a God in heaven who knows all about that.
When he was asked about who he was, he told the truth, and that truth got him killed, but that death led to life for me and you and millions of Christians through history and around the world. So he was the opposite of giving false testimony against his neighbour. He told the truth at his own great cost for the benefit of his neighbour and the people who would follow. And Jesus, by his spirit, through his word, he's still in the same business today. If you know him, if you're a Christian, you read what he says, you will know that sometimes he speaks hard truths to you. If you're listening to hear it. But always for our good. You know, you might tell the story of how you did something bad. And the story you tell is, well, circumstances forced me to do that bad thing. The story Jesus says is, out of your heart becomes evil. The pressure that squeezes bad things out of you can only squeeze out what's already in there. It's hard truth, isn't it? It stings, it offends, it's not flattering. But Jesus wants what he is for is helping us see the truth about ourselves so we can come to him for ransom, for payment, for forgiveness, for healing. So we'll walk in humility rather than pride and blame. Jesus says hard things about me, never to bring depression or sadness, but because in his kindness and grace we can enter humility, a life that we can learn. Jesus is the truth teller for his neighbour. There are many, many reasons to love Jesus. This is one of them. He is so committed to truth and justice at his own cost. And he is still doing that gentle work in Christians today by the spirit in the church, lovingly confronting us with the truth and calling us to change in his grace. And maybe you know that experience listening to a sermon, reading to the Bible, talking to a friend, and suddenly something that is not good about yourself becomes really clear. It's Jesus, by his Spirit, still doing that same job. And we want the church to change so the church can be a safe and generous haven for people who need it, where they're not gossiped about or under threat. And Jesus speaks truth to us so we can become that place. If the church is going to be that, a lot of change that needs to happen. And one of the ways that that we become that place we should be is through truth-telling. Truth and joy. I don't know if you've been watching the news this week. (laughs) What we saw this week was a group of senior politicians go and tell the Prime Minister... He should resign. Everyone was telling him he had to leave, and he still refused. And in the end, when he did it, he basically told everyone else they were stupid for forcing it to happen. I am, of course, making no political comment about that particular person. Maybe he just has incredible self-confidence. But I think it might be that because he was the one with the power... None of them had ever really faced up to him with the truth before. Until they saw his paw ebbing away, they didn't want to tell him the truth. 
He held their careers in his hand, so it was easier to do the party line. I realise that many people in our church are facing that type of dilemma in your workplace every day. When and how is it right to speak the truth? And that takes a lot of wisdom. But it's true that you cannot have a functional government or organisation, and definitely not a team of people who care for sinners and spread the gospel if we are not telling the truth to each other. If the organisation is controlled by the most powerful personalities and people lie to keep in with those people, we're never going to be a team that reaches the world with with the message of Jesus. And so the New Testament says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See what it's saying? When you trusted Jesus to pay your ransom, you became a new person. The old life of rejecting God is dead. You put on a new self. And in this new self, as you know God better, you change more and more to reflect what God is like. That's what Christians find when you get to know God. He remakes you. And one of the things that happens is that we don't lie to each other anymore. It's because that's what God's like. God doesn't lie. God doesn't flatter. God doesn't pretend. God doesn't doesn't manipulate. And when we are renewed in his image, that's the way we become too. Just think about the reasons that you might lie. And then think about how they don't really apply here. Why do people lie? Maybe you lie, you're a liar, because you're the type of person who says you'll do something and then you don't do it. You think easier to just tell a lie. Say, I, my dog ate it, or something. It's a made-up story. You do realise that here, in this place, we are under direct instructions from Jesus to forgive you when you get it wrong. So we're not the type of community that needs lies. Or maybe uh, you um, really, really care about your reputation, so you wouldn't want to tell the truth about yourself. And this passage says, you have a new self that's from God. You don't need to protect your reputation. So own up and say sorry. Or maybe people lie because they don't want anyone to know how weak or sinful they really are. You do remember, don't you, that every person who's a Christian is a Christian because they admitted they were weak and sinful. That's how you become a Christian. So we have no need for lies here to cover that up. More than not lying, though, the New Testament gives us this great phrase, speaking the truth in love. That's the total opposite of false testimony against your neighbour. That's a sort of floor, as Josh said last week, not a ceiling. So no, don't lie, but head towards something positive. Speak true words in love. And I love this passage because it says, if we do that, something astonishing will happen. Look at what it says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Jesus' body is formed in this time and space when we tell the truth to each other. 
How is the church formed to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus does in all of his truth-telling and grace-giving and poor-serving goodness? How does the church become that thing? It's actually quite simple. Christians tell the truth to each other in love. When we get together, we love each other enough to tell the truth in a way that others can hear it, not attacked by it, in love. Maybe you need today to give some gentle encouragement about Jesus to a struggler. Or maybe you need today to say the clear but difficult thing to someone about what they're getting wrong. Or maybe it's just you need to like, fill your lungs and join in with singing truth that will encourage other people. Even if you hate singing, join in for the love of others. Or maybe in the group you're in, the connect group or the hub, you really want that. You can contribute to that group being a group that listens and comforts but also calls to repentance. And through this simple method of telling the truth in love, a church that is really the body of Jesus himself is formed. Another thing the New Testament says is eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Now we sometimes feel a bit freaked out by the word prophecy and think it means sort of like meditating and words jumping into your head or whatever. It just means in the passage where that uh, verse comes from, just words that upbuild and encourage other people. And maybe that's how you feel. You come to every gathering of Christians and you think, I'd like to be part of speaking the truth in love, but I don't know what to say or how to say it or who to say it to. Well, come to every gathering of Christians asking God that he will give you the right opportunity and the right words. Ask God to fill you with his spirit, this gift, so you can give it a go. What's stopping us? You know, those moments you've probably been in where you're discussing a bit of the Bible in your connect group or something, and someone asks a question, everybody knows what the answer is, but we all sit in silence anyway. You may have been there, maybe not. I suspect you have. What's stopping us speaking the truth in love? I think we're trapped by manoeuvring, aren't we? Our place in the group. Will I be liked if I say this? Will I look stupid? Will the thing I'm trying to put out about there, about myself, will it still be believed? Do you see, it's all like, I will let other people go down so I can be raised up. And Jesus, the truth teller, he says, listen, I love you. You are safe with me. You can be free from all of those restrictions holding you back from speaking the truth in love to others. Maybe you're caught thinking, I'm so sinful, really if people knew the truth, they would hate me, so I just mask up at church. Listen, Jesus, who always tells the truth, he doesn't make this stuff up ever. Jesus says, if you trust him, you are totally forgiven already for whatever might emerge in conversation. Maybe you're in the habit of exaggerating 
or white lying or assuming your opinions are better than everyone else's. You know, they're all summed up under a brilliant Scouse word, blagging. Maybe you're a blagger. Jesus, the truth teller, says to you, listen, your heart produces evil. He knows that. He loves you and saved you that way. But given that's true, humble, gentle, honest words might be better than constantly self-promoting. Jesus, the truth teller, is so good. And if we let him, he can make us into people who stop using lies for our own advantage, but use the truth to love others. Isn't that what we want? We want to be in that community where we don't suspect people are thinking or saying wrong things about us for their advantage, but we know people will speak the truth to us because they love us. Jesus, the truth teller, can do that in us. So let's pause and invite him to do that.